Hello and good morning. It's Tuesday, the 22nd of May, 2018. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the first and only regularly updated podcast in the world. I really need a shorter tagline, don't I? Anyway, uh, the first and only regularly updated podcast in the world dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Today, episode 32, How Autonomous Cars Will Change Cities. 73% of Americans are scared of autonomous cars, and what autonomous cars can learn from airplanes. All this, right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, so to kick things off this morning, there was a great article published over at Wired Magazine at Wired.com yesterday. Uh, The title is Lots of Lobbies and Zero Zombies. Uh, Besides being somewhat tongue-in-cheek, it's really worth discussing. Um, You know, we've talked quite a bit on this show in the past about how autonomous cars are going to really change the notion of what it means to commute uh, to the extent that it's effectively going to make commuting just not really a thing. It's not going to really matter where you live anymore because getting from A to B would be such a passive activity that it's not going to be a negative thing. In fact, in some ways, having that ability to commute from A to B, having some time to either get more sleep or get work done, that's going to be actually in many ways potentially a plus rather than a minus. Um, But this article, what I wanted to touch on is um, some of the more detailed things in which uh, Wired has discussed the ways in which... uh, Autonomous cars are going to change the way people actually interact with cities specifically. All right, so the title of this article, Lots of Lobbies and Zero Zombies, besides being a pretty good tongue twister, I'm amazed I got through it on the 17th try here. Um, Yeah, so it it talks a lot about the various ways in which autonomous cars are really going to mold the essence, the fabric of city design, down to the actual building design. Now, we've talked a lot, obviously, on this show, and I'm sure that you've read a lot, the ways in which autonomous cars are going to change our lives um, with, just by virtue of sort of removing the concept of commuting as a thing, right? Getting from your home to your office, commuting from A to B just won't be a thing anymore because you'll get in a pod, whether it's private or shared, and you'll be able to sleep or get work done or converse with your fellow uh, pod mates, I guess. Um, so so that's that's a really important thing indeed, right? The fact that commuting just, just won't be a thing anymore. But what's interesting, and this article points out, and I realize it's not necessarily an important thing, but I really rather like it, it's this discussion on how autonomous cars are going to really encourage architects to reimagine and really uh, improve buildings' lobby designs. And let's think about that for a second, what that means, right? So pretend for a moment that you're not in a major city like, say, I don't know, New York or San Francisco or Chicago, uh, here in the States or elsewhere, say London, Tokyo, Paris, uh, where the vast majority of people do indeed get to work or at least get dropped off at their office 
um, by taxi, Uber, or Lyft already. And that explains why new buildings in these cities already have really beautiful lobbies. For example, in San Francisco, the Salesforce building, I should say one of the Salesforce buildings, has such a spectacular lobby that people actually stop and take photographs. It's got these huge sort of wall-mounted crazy hyper high resolution screens showcasing beautiful visuals of scenes from around the world but when you when you think about it these really spectacular lobbies are not so common in cities in which most people get to work driving their own cars and then parking in these dark dreary drab depressing underground dungeons of garages, right? Because their primary entry point then into the building is from these garages, not rather from the street-level lobbies, which sort of reduces the incentive to make lobbies very beautiful, inviting, warm places. And so, anyway, the article just touches on this notion that, wow, even down to this detail of, of building design with respect to the lobbies, autonomous car is going to have quite an impact there. So I just think it's kind of a neat thing to think about. I certainly never considered it before. Um, so I think it's kind of a more how should we say, emotional, more tangible way in which autonomous cars will have an admittedly subtle but very visual, impactful change on city design down to the actual building design. Okay, moving on to something a bit more practical now. Um, a lot of discussion all over the interwebs forever has revolved around this notion of how autonomous cars are going to really impact the concept of, say, traffic enforcement, parking regulation, even street signs and, 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 and street lights and so on. So one of the really interesting things and one of the biggest changes is going to be that, well, thanks to autonomous cars no longer needing to remain stationary and parked, it's true. Uh, parking regulation just isn't going to be a thing anymore, right? Because of course it isn't. Um, similarly, uh, traffic enforcement just kind of won't be a thing anymore either because, well, you know, these things aren't going to make any mistakes. And to the extent that they do... Um, for truly fully autonomous cars, level five, uh, you, the human driver, almost certainly will never be liable, right? Uh, for levels three and four, of course, yes, you would be, but level five, you would not be. Um, so it kind of raises the question, well, so what's going to happen then to the actual city design? Well, a couple of things, right? So first of all, we're going to see much more sort of um, little parks popping up everywhere, Um all the ridiculous surface area on streets dedicated to parking will be reallocated for, frankly, nicer things, whether it's more parks, more outdoor cafe seating areas, which we've seen a lot in certain cities now, right? You may have seen this thing where um, chairs and tables are put out in what was once formerly uh, parking spots for cars. Maybe they'll actually put a nice wooden deck there. Um, so you're going to see a lot more of this, right? But as far as the, um, as far as the, the, the parking regulation, right? This is going to be a big change because now cities are going to lose a massive amount of their revenue stream, right? And so the question becomes, well, how are they going to make this up? Uh, so one of the interesting uh, ideas posed by this article is the idea of a zombie tax, right? So the, 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 the really great thing about autonomous cars, of course, is that, you know, when you're... So right now, cars spend, what, 98% of their time just parked, unutilized, and the idea is that when we have fully autonomous cars, um, well, whether you're sleeping at home or whether you're at work, your car can, if you choose, um, can drive around and, you know, transport other people around. And so the, the, the ultimate goal, of course, is that car ownership 
Well, to the extent that you will even still own a car, which you probably won't anymore, but to the extent that you did own a car, um, it would actually be a a cash positive thing rather than a cash negative thing. You'll actually be earning income from this car, which is just amazing when you think about it. Um, But yeah, so the idea is that these cars then will be driving around city streets and picking up people and so on. But if they are empty, if they don't have any people on the car, well, the idea here is to have a zombie tax where uh, the car is basically taxed every minute that it doesn't have a passenger. Why? Well, because if you've got a ton of these things driving around empty, well, that's just sort of a huge inefficiency, right? So the idea is keep these things sort of out of the city or away from the road, you know, off the streets, uh, unless they've actually got a passenger in the car. Now, obviously, yes, I have an econ degree. I realize this could produce some huge sort of deadweight loss and blah, blah, blah. I'm not suggesting this is necessarily the right way to go about it, but certainly to the extent that something can be done to increase the likelihood and maximize the efficiency of these things on the roads, obviously that's something I think we can all get around. And then I guess the last thing real quick I want to mention is this interesting idea that indeed, uh, if all the cars are autonomous inside of a city, um, the need for signage, traffic signage, and indeed even streetlights will no longer be required. Again, this is the kind of thing that you're probably thinking, you know, so what? You're probably rolling your eyes. But try to imagine your your busy city intersections with all these signs and streets, and it's kind of ridiculous. I think it would be a really cool study if somebody wanted to take a great photo. I'm sure these, I'm, actually, I could probably just Google it and find it. I'm sure somebody's done this, but take a take a photo of like a really busy city intersection intersection and just photoshop out all the street signs and all the street lights uh maybe replace them with trees if you like i don't know i think it would just be really pretty to just have a very different vibe to the city um anyway look none of this stuff is really important i mean some of it is some of it isn't um but but at least it's something to think about right i mean and it really just further sheds light on the ways in which i mean as i've always said autonomous cars are really going to be the biggest step change for humanity since the Industrial Revolution. It's just going to change every single facet of human society, civilization, um, the way we live, the way we get to work, the, the, the way cities are even designed, all the way down to the detail of actual architectural design. So I think it's just really incredible stuff. Anyway, give it a read. It's over at Wired.com. Uh, lots of lobbies and zero zombies. All right, I'm going to keep this next segment relatively short for two reasons. One, I really want to get to the third segment. You'll see why in a moment. And two, because this segment's just going to piss me off. Um, there's an article over at Autoblog published uh, today, actually. Um, I say today. It was published at 12.01 a.m. Um, wow, somebody's up working late. This would be Joel Stocksdale, a writer for Autoblog. Uh, the title of the article is that Americans are even more wary of autonomous cars now um, I guess than they were before. This is a really, uh, I don't even know what adjective to use, uh, depressing uh, thing to see. It turns out now that, well, 73% of Americans surveyed now say that they would be too afraid to ride in a fully autonomous vehicle. It turns out that this is up 10 points over the last time this, this survey was conducted. Uh, the last time being towards the end of 2017. So now we're into May. So something like five months, six months, in just five or six months, Americans now have gone up from apparently 63% to 73% saying that they just are too afraid to ride 
in autonomous cars. Um, this is just this is just stupid and maddening and just I, I, yeah, okay. I'm out of adjectives. And as I said, this article is just this whole discussion is just gonna kind of piss me off. Again, for those of you who haven't listened to this entire podcast since the very beginning, uh, including and especially I. I, I think probably my pilot episode uh, three months ago. Um, just you need to understand a thing here about me. I am like the biggest car guy you'll ever meet. I, I love, love cars. I love the sport of driving. I love Formula One. I love doing track days. My dad and I did, a, did several track days here in California at uh, Button Willow Raceway, just north of LA, at Thunder Hill Raceway, north of uh, Sacramento. Um, I love cars and I love driving and I always will. That's never going to change. Um, on the flip side, you know, one of the really incredible things, one of the fun, just, I, I, it's actually, this is, this kind of warrants its entire own segment unto itself, which I may well do at some point. But one of the most amazing feelings I, I noticed was when I left one of the uh, track days, uh, this was up at, uh, I guess it was Thunder Hill Raceway, but even the first time I ever went, I remember I, I got off the racetrack and I drove onto the public streets and then onto the freeway. And I was suddenly overcome with this really profound sense of fear, this, this fear that suddenly I was driving with all these random careless drivers on the road, people on their phone, doing their makeup, eating a hamburger, and what an uncontrolled environment it really was, which is weird when you think about it because you know we're sort of accustomed to thinking that we're driving along these streets that are heavily patrolled and regulated by you know the police and the highway patrol and Never mind that for a moment, as an aside, no, our roads and driving are nowhere near regulated compared to a place, say, like Germany, which, by the way, is an aside to an aside, if you can do that. Uh, as a friendly reminder, Germany, with its occasional, not ubiquitous, but occasional de-restricted bits of Autobahn, um, where average speeds are you know, well over 100 miles an hour, they still have far fewer accident rates and death rates per capita than we have here in the U.S., Okay, no idea where I was. Um, I guess my point is simply that, you know, so, so when you get off a racetrack, you drive on public roads, you suddenly realize, my goodness, this is such a terribly dangerous, just insane environment. Um, and, and so the notion that, that just due to some just really irresponsible, dangerously irresponsible reporting by news sources, I mean, I hate to sort of quote Elon Musk here, but... I mean, it's true what he says. This is just really irresponsible. People are now getting this just this horribly false belief that autonomous cars are dangerous. Um, it, yeah, seventy three percent apparently too afraid to ride in autonomous vehicles. This is just stupid. Uh, look, obviously there have been some accidents. Obviously things are nowhere near perfect yet. Obviously though, this is what happens when you try to get to sort of, you know, when you're trying to roll out an entire new technology, including and especially one which is as mind-bogglingly complex as autonomous cars. Put it this way, has it occurred to you, do you even know that airplanes, commercial aviation, have been, uh, you know, it's been largely fully automated for like the last 30 years now? I mean, did you know that? Did you know that, that airplanes, commercial, when you get on an airplane, you fly from A to B, pilots actually only manually fly the craft for something like one minute you know shortly after you know during the takeoff roll basically and during the final approach provided they can actually see the runway otherwise the entire duration of the flight is flown automatically 
Well, if airplanes have been able to do that for the last 30 years or so, why is it that cars can't? Well, there you go. Because creating a fully autonomous car is vastly more difficult due to the myriad variables on city streets, pedestrians, crazy drivers, a ball bouncing across the road, or an animal, so on and so forth, right? So I probably don't have to explain to you the difference as to why it is that autonomous car technology is so much more complex, but it is important to keep in mind that it's a very, very, very hard thing to do. It's an extremely hard thing to get right. And it brings together many different disciplines of science and technology, whether you're talking about the computer vision systems, the LIDAR systems, the, the sheer amount of AI sort of computing logic that has to go into making sense of the vision that the car is able to see, interpret the world around it. Again, this is like a huge another discussion, but look, net-net, you, you need, I, I just, I mean, I know you, all of you listening to this podcast, you're probably on the same page as I am. Otherwise, I don't know, you probably wouldn't be listening. I don't know. Um, my hope, though, is that some of you either A, share this 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 really important thing with your friends and colleagues that look when you when you hear something in the news about oh how autonomous cars are dangerous and you know just try to educate people to understand why that's just not true and if you're listening to this podcast because you're trying to learn more well i commend you and hats off to you and that's that's really good and i hope that you will pass on what you're learning that and not just from me i mean i'm not the only one saying this right there's other people who well, I guess as far as podcasts go, it, indeed, I am kind of one of the only ones, weirdly. Um, but certainly there's a lot of great articles on this stuff, right? Read and inform yourself and try not to learn about autonomous cars in the news because this is, that's just not a good way to go about it. But um, anyway, speaking of airplanes is the perfect segue into our third and final segment. So let's dive in. All right, so for this third and final segment, I want to dive into what's likely to be the first of many such discussions about the the need and the importance and indeed the educational value of really studying and understanding the ways in which automation has benefited and indeed made possible today's incredibly safe aviation culture and what we can learn about it with respect to autonomous cars. So I've written about this stuff really ad nauseum. Uh, you can search my profile on Quora. I had a blog I'd written for a couple of years called innovately.wordpress.com, uh, where I sort of cross-posted a lot of my favorite things from Quora and wrote a few original pieces as well. Even on LinkedIn, there's some of these articles. But one of the things I would talk about a lot is this, is well, about aviation generally, because that's another one of my passions, but the ways in which, you know, we really need to learn from aviation, right? So, um, so, so just to kind of give an overview here, and then we can, again, discuss this in future episodes, if you like. Um, let's start with a thing that you really need to keep in mind. Your chances of dying in an airplane, not just being in an airplane crash, but of actually dying, is 1 in 11 million. Go ahead and Google this. If I'm not mistaken, that means that your chances of being struck by lightning two times in the same spot is actually higher than dying uh, in an airplane. Uh, in contrast, your chances of dying in a car, not just being in an accident, but dying in a car is one in just 5,000, right? So obviously, I think people understand this, even if they're not willing to, if they're not able to be okay knowing it, they're still many times afraid of flight. But here's what's important. Um, so there was an article that I wrote in particular, which is titled, The Five Most Common Causes of Airplane Crashes and What It Means for Self-Driving Cars. So let me just kind of run through the five points real quick. Number one is loss of control in flight. Number two is what's called controlled flight into terrain. 
Three is runway excursions. Four, unknown or undetermined. Uh, And number five, system component failure or malfunction. So what's incredible is that basically if you look at all these and you see the chart that graphs the the frequency of such such, uh, faults leading to fatal airplane crashes, essentially it's never, ever anything besides pilot error. It just isn't. It's almost entirely, I mean, like 99% of the time caused by pilot error. So just to give, or I say error, or it could be intentional, as in the tragic case of the, what was it, Eurowings flight where the pilot shockingly committed suicide, which, by the way, is not a unique case. Um, so, so the point is, is that even in aviation with these, with these pilots that are held to such a high standard, right, they're, they're trained to such a high level, it's still the case that whenever there's a crash, it's almost always the case that it's pilot error. Uh, another great example, of course, Air France Flight 447 from Rio de Janeiro to Paris, right? Yes, there was a mechanical failure. That's true. But the mechanical failure isn't what caused the crash. It was the pilot's shockingly inept, I was going to say ability, rather their inability to manage what was frankly an ordinary thing to manage. They should have been able to do this, and they weren't. Um, now, that's a whole other discussion about sort of adequate pilot training and handling autonomous systems and so on. But the, the big takeaway from all this should be pretty plain, right? Uh, automated systems, at least in aviation, now that they've been perfected, these are not the cause really ever of airplane crashes. Um, at the time that I wrote this article, this was... I don't know, a few years ago, uh, there was an article in The Economist, a really great report on autonomous cars, and there was a really spectacular quote. The Economist said, if 90% of cars on American roads were autonomous, accidents would fall from 5.5 million per year to 1.3 million. Uh, And my comment to this quote was that, you know, considering we lose about 3,000 lives per month in car accidents, in my opinion, it is criminally flawed not to fast-track autonomous driving laws, not only to allow self-driving vehicles, but indeed to mandate them. So, so I would really encourage you, you know, next time you get on a plane, or better yet, even before you get on a plane, um, try to learn a bit more about how aircraft work, how the avionics systems work. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff out there you can easily teach yourself. There's a lot of great YouTube videos And just realize that literally every single thing, every stage, every step of aircraft flight is, if not automated, calculated with precision. So, for instance, one great example I like to give everybody is, you know, oftentimes people who don't know about aircraft, they say things like, oh, wow, look at that 747 or that massive A380 uh, taking off. It's so heavy. It it almost didn't get off the ground in time. You know, there was only, what, a thousand feet left to the runway. That wasn't by chance. They didn't just happen to take off at that point on the runway. It was calculated. They took off at that point on the runway because that's where the flight computer said they were supposed to take off. They didn't just happen to barely make it. That's exactly what they did because they were supposed to do it. You know, similarly, and looking at the opposite end of the flight, when landing, did you know that 
aircraft have an automatic braking system so that they exit the correct taxiway. In other words, they apply just the right braking force, not be too strong or not too light so as to stop too early or to to miss the taxiway. I mean, this stuff is just incredible when you think about it. Now, again, due to all the variables on roads and, and streets and highways, obviously then this is why autonomous car development is so much more challenging. It's true. Um, but nevertheless, it's really important to take what we can from the aviation world, learn it, really get it, and then apply it to cars. Uh, again, this is a huge discussion for another time. I'd love to get into it, but for now, that's all we've got time for. So that'll be a wrap on this. All right, so that'll do it for today. As always, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast over on Apple's iTunes podcast. Of course, if you're listening on anchor.fm, go ahead and feel free to leave me a voicemail if you like. I promise to respond. Um, you can always find me on Twitter at Mark Hogue, M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G, of course, on LinkedIn as well. If you want to read some of the things that I write, go ahead and find me on medium.com slash at Mark Hogue. Um, and of course on Quora. So thank you again so much for listening. Have a wonderful next couple of days. Promise to loop back Thursday or Friday. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.